hi everybody first i said hi on there but hey everybody thanks um thanks for joining us today um really appreciate you taking the time out of your your, your schedules to participate um i wanted to take a second to welcome everyone to our virtual town hall um i'm your host moderator my name is michael blue williams um i am and managing the entertainment business i manage groups like outcast CeeLo green nick cannon Donnell Jones, Case, Monica, Outcast. So, um, but I also, during all of that, have dealt with depression and my own ups and downs of being, you know, dealing with what goes on in life in the entertainment industry, as well as just being a black man, dealing with everything that happens, um, you know, driving while black, traveling while black, everything. So I'm happy to have the opportunity to, to moderate this and, and talk to all you guys. Um, I would, before we start, I want to thank Providence for bringing all of us all of us together and to Dash Radio for giving our voice a platform. We all know police brutality isn't the only form of racial injustice. There's a long history of inequality based, based on race in America, from our housing to education and many factors that make up our overall health. That's why this conversation is so important because our voices can make a difference and improve our, improve our health. We know, we know what's happening. We know how to address it. And now we have to take action to actually make the changes that are needed. Um, and what better day to start doing all this than on Juneteenth, you know, a day that's passionate and has a lot of meaning for everybody in the African-American community because of, of its importance. Um, it's a day meant to celebrate freedom, but here we are still facing attacks on people of color in the middle of a pandemic. And whenever we acknowledge, the, and whenever we acknowledge these feelings, of anxiety, fear, frustration, and trauma for what they are, all of the happenings in our world right now are having a devastating impact to our mental health. Today, our panel will discuss what happens when oppression and depression collide and how we cope. Um, please, do, kind of a warning for some people that some of the things we may mention today during this broadcast could trigger um, or, or be hard to hear, and it's normal to feel this way. Your mental health, though, is important to us, and there are resources to help you if you get triggered or you feel a certain way. Um, you can see our comments section for links. And due to the sensitivity of topics and the emotion it brings up, there may be some adult language that will be rated R. But our panelists will, none of y'all look like you're going to curse. I'll try not to curse, but y'all don't want to. So, um, you know, let's get started. Uh, let me run through our panelists from side to side or um, first, let me thank Dr. Rhonda Meadows. She's president of Population Health Management at Providence. Um, also, I'd like to thank Dr. Omar Retta, um, psychiatrist and trauma expert at Providence. Um, Zoe Williams from Dash Radio, host, author, and relationship coach, TV personality. Um, Joshua Sherman, college student, Christine Mozzie, high school student and Project WOC founder. Um, thank you guys all again for coming. So, you know, let's start right, jump right into it. And let's, our first topic today will be what's happening now, the racial disparities and COVID. My first question for you guys and, and our partners is really for Dr. Meadows. Can you talk to us about what's happening right now with the pandemic? and why communities of color are hardest hit by COVID? 
and why do these disparities exist and how is the pandemic amplified what's going on in our community? So despite all the other things that are going on right now, the pandemic is still swinging hard at it and hitting us. Um, it's different in every state and every community, but it is very much still here and spreading uh, for, for us, for African-Americans in particular, as well as some other people of color. We are disproportionately harmed by the virus. Um, so um, folks are more likely to see um, African-Americans have anywhere from two and a half to three times the death rate from the disease itself, um, as well as um, Native Americans actually have almost 19 times the rest of the whole population. So it is an amazing thing that actually impacts us tremendously. Um, in addition, um, those of us who are also of, of, of Hispanic ethnicity, we also have very high rates of um, contracting the virus itself and getting the sickness. And some of this stuff is coming back from, from legacy health disparities that have been with us for at least decades, if not centuries, um, having a, a greater tendency toward having things like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, and chronic lung disease. Um, but some of the things that actually are impacting how the disparities harm us now also have to do with our current state, difficulties with access to care, nutrition, housing, employment, all of those things. So that is very real and that is still today. Um, I, while being in New York, I was in New York when the pandemic hit and one of the things that we really noticed was that it, it wasn't hitting as hard in lower Manhattan. It was hitting in the outer boroughs, in the Bronx and in Queens and in Brooklyn. But those were the people that were out working still. Those are your first, those are the, the first line that keep the, the cities moving. And what's happening are you find that minorities are, are the grease that keeps all these cities moving, but it also gave everybody tremendous exposure. And so the hardest hit I think they we found was that in New York, it was almost like 33% were between African American and then like another 25-30% were Hispanic. Right. So, so right in my there. own neighborhood, yeah. In my own yeah. neighborhood in Brooklyn, for example, Brookdale Hospital was featured on the news. And I'm going to tell you, it looks the same as when I was growing up there. And I, I won't tell you how old I am, but it's been a while and it should be better. Right. But that neighborhood was devastated. Absolutely devastated. So, Zoe, how have you noticed the impacts of the pandemic and social injustice happening right now with your listeners and community, especially around mental health? <laughs> Hip-hop is mental health. Hip-hop is a coping mechanism. R&B was a coping mechanism. Uh, Ragtime was a coping mechanism. Gospel was a coping mechanism. Now, today, I think the question becomes, how long are you going to ask us to cope? How long do we have to cope? Can you imagine how amazing you know, our creative abilities would be if they weren't motivated by duress. Like if we weren't under duress, can you imagine what type of art form we would create in a, in a healthy, free, open space? Dr. Rhonda mentioned something that was quite profound. She said some of these problems that make us prone to be the ones that get hit the hardest are centuries old. And what she's alluding to is systematic racism. Yeah. Redlining, uh, you know, your money ain't good enough here, your, your ice ain't cold enough, your water ain't wet enough. It's systematic racism. 
And we have to step away from symbols and move into substance. The political game is a joke because it's based on symbols, right? We did worse under Barack Obama. We lost home ownership. We lost a lot of wealth traction under Barack Obama. But the symbol was amazing. As a black man, oh, a black man in, in, as, the, in the pre, as the president of the United States, the most powerful country in the world, symbolically, it looked great. But substantively, we did worse. We have to have substance over symbols. And I think that is what this uh, outcry is manifesting in the streets with the riots, with, you know, it's just disappointment and frustration boiled over. Now you can, you know, speak to mental health about some of that. Uh, I'm sure you can, but the bottom line is everyone that is black understands how they've been held down systematically and why we're still here. We understand what it is. And nobody really wants to talk about it for real. It's racism. Let's deal with racism in all its forms. Economics, education, who have BA degrees, and it's not a lot of people who have it, but uh, African-Americans who have BA degrees still have to fight for jobs against white people who are high school dropouts. That's a, that's a bona fide stat based on Antonio Moore and Sandy Darity are jobs where we're more educated people that are less educated, but they got a different skin color. We have to address, they have to be willing to release some of the power that they hold. That, that, you're asking a lot whenever you're asking the oppressor to, to give up some of his power to the oppressed. But um, don't march with us. If you're not going to do it, don't march, don't, don't, don't stand in solidarity if you're not willing to put skin in the game. I totally agree. So, so Joshua, I guess I would go to you with that and, and ask you, how do you feel your generation is, is dealing with everything that's going on and, and trying to make a difference when it comes to social injustice and making sure that your voices are heard? So, Josh, you're muted. All right. Sorry about that. I'll, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, we are definitely, we definitely need to get informed about um, the injustices that we are experiencing. Um, I know as a, as a college student, um, you know, things have, things have been like a little shaky as far as I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard from peers next to me, you know, the experiences that they've, that they've had and, um, you know, our school, they, they're trying, they're trying to go ahead and, and work on the injustice, but, you know, it still, it still is, is, is there, if that makes sense, you know, it's, it's still, it's still there and it's still uh, relevant, even with um, teachers, you know, explaining to, to the student, like, you know, just because you're at this uh, majority white school, you know, you don't feel like you're privileged. You know, I've, I've had my friend 
tell me like you know a teacher who was nice to me like oh no like the oh you're it's just different because it's you type of statement you know where you know it's a whole thing like you know we are are, are a whole as a, as a community as a black community and so you know the injustices uh it's still there it's still there the response is um i felt like our response could be critiqued um and i think that all just comes with uh instruction okay so christine man i i'm so impressed by what i read that you're doing and as a high school student you kind of you have a unique you know view of this you in your time of being here you've seen a white you've seen a black president like you were born into a black president and a lot of your peers and y'all are seeing the world totally different from maybe those of us that grew up when it was still a dream and were happy so how do you feel that like for your generation how are you dealing with it and, and what is what are you guys trying to make your voice heard uh, that's a really good question. So in regards to the presidency, I, for one, have realized that a lot of my friends and I and the people I surround myself with, during Obama's presidency, we saw it as like, people kept telling us this is a moment in history, like you guys should revel in this. And we did, but I guess a lot of us took social media and I guess glorified Obama more so than we should have, some may say. Like, we didn't know many of his policies. We just knew that he's our first black president. Let's rejoice. And I've noticed that as we are starting to get older, and at least the people like I said, I surround myself with to care about politics and social justice, we're starting to learn like what Mr. Zoe said that maybe he should have done more and maybe we idolized him more so than we should have. But a lot of this information is being spread through social media. And I, for one, can attest to the fact that it's a really good place to find your information, not in regards to biased sources, definitely, but a lot of people. Like, for example, protests going on right now. Like, if you check on the news, some news stations are demonizing the protesters. Meanwhile, if you go on Twitter, it's someone who's at the protest showing a live stream saying, this is what's happening right now. Like, it's more trustworthy. And so my generation, I think, is doing a good job of spreading information through something that we have access to so easily and doing it in a positive manner to get people who weren't already interested, interested. So I'm, I'm proud of us, and I think that it's only up for no, I'm proud of you guys, and I, and I definitely appreciate you know you guys stepping in at, at such young ages and making sure that your voice. Because my hope is in you. I, I'm I'm someone that believes that people feel like history is repeating itself, and and I I think that there's a slight difference this time because you have in the '60s when this was happening, you didn't have so much black culture in the veins of this country. Like you you had Motown and you saw Muhammad Ali, and you saw Jim Brown, and you saw that. But now you have generations that have grown up on Michael Jordan and LeBron, and have grown up with Outkast and, and Snoop Dogg. And, and so we are much more integrated into this country. So it's not, it's, it's a different approach, I think, and that your generation has a chance to kind of really look at it a lot differently. So I thank you and appreciate your hard work. Um, Dr. Rader, I didn't want to leave you out. Um, when like whether we're feeling anxiety or fear or trauma right now with everything that's impacting our mental health how do we know if what we're experiencing is mental health concern or we just it's too much tv or is it like how, how can you tell like i'm really how can someone tell if they're really having a mental issue or something's going on or if they're just overwhelmed by what's happening yeah thank you very much it's uh, really an extreme honor to be with you and as a, you know, a Muslim and an Arab, 
I'm here to stand in solidarity with my brothers and sisters of the black community. And I really appreciate the organizers for doing this. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm really very impressed by the statement of, uh, you know, we need really to uh, focus on the substance. I can go and try to revive somebody who's very clearly telling me they cannot breathe. And that, that is treatment of the symptom. Or I can go and uh, remove the knee of oppression from their neck. And that will be really how to deal with the source of hate and discrimination and racism. But, you know, I think, you know, many communities go through uh, difficulties and I, I can only imagine my, uh, you know, African-American brothers and sisters with uh, decades and centuries of uh, injustice and um, racial, you know, disparities that, you know, there is lots of trauma and uh, right now it has been triggered and this is triggered not only for the parents, but only also for the children who are watching their parents' reaction. And it's very important to not pathologize some of uh, these symptoms that we see, the anxieties and the restless energy. Uh, many of these are uh, normal reactions to abnormal situation. Uh, you know, this is a huge setback for our country to be going through this again and again. And it's very exhausting, especially if people are not speaking up. And you get very tired when uh, you are the oppressed and nobody is coming to your rescue or at least uh, giving you some kind of moral support. So, you know, there are people who struggle more than usual. Maybe they start to have, you know, uh, symptoms that are more than uh, the normal, you know, range of uh, symptoms that we expect during these difficult times. For example, they will isolate or shut down or lash out, or maybe they start to think about um, you know, self-harm or use of substance or um, access to lethal means and stuff like that. But most of the reactions I would say that we see are a normal response to an abnormal situation. And most of the people will heal uh, when they lean on their community for support. Zoe, have you seen that from your listeners? Are you hearing that they're dealing with, I know I'm seeing it with a lot of artists and a lot of people that it's, a lot of people just feel heavy. They yeah. feel the weight of all this that's going on. They don't know, they either don't know what they can do about it. They're not sure how it's going to affect them. They don't, it's just, they're getting a lot of, of just the, the weight of everything. Cause this is, this is such an unusual time. You're dealing with going into, we're already in a recession, probably looking at the depression, highest unemployment rates. Um, people don't know if they're going to have jobs. They don't know if they can go to their jobs and not get sick. They don't want to come home and get family members sick. It's just a lot on people. So, Zoe, have you been dealing with that and what you've been interacting with people? I think this is an amazing question. Uh, and the answer is, welcome to black life. Everyday black life. This is how black people live and have lived. So the rest of the world might be feeling more anxious. The rest of the world might be feeling like how we've been feeling for centuries. I mean, think about it. In order to be a successful black man, for the most part, there is an aspect of capitulation that is involved. You got to play the game. You got to bend the knee, right? You have to bend the knee. If you're too intelligent, look at Barack Obama, too articulate. He's talking down the middle America. Do <laughs> you understand? Oh, he, he's talking down to middle America. If you're too smart, you're aggressive. Right? Right? Think about it. Joe Biden, 
is dependent on black votes right now. But there was a time during the 94 crime bill where he called black kids fatherless animals roaming the streets that need to be jailed. And then he also alluded to the fact that this society is partly responsible for creating those hordes of teenagers that want to take on his son and rob his mom. And that was the impetus to create the crime bill by calling us parentless animals roaming the streets. But at the same time, let me come back and ask these same people. This man just said, you are not black if you don't vote for me. How is he better than Donald Trump? See, they play the shell game in politics. They only placate to you when they need you. But once they've gotten your vote, then they discard you. The system is the same. The system is broken. Or is the system only tailor-made for those in power? Do you see? So when we're looking at our people and the way we live, this is who we are. This is who we've been. A lot of Black people are responding to this time the way they've responded to times before because they've seen it. So now, you're going to fix the system? One of, uh, I'll end on this. One of my favorite philosophers, his name is Jiddu Krishnamurti, made a profound statement. He said, it is no measure of health to be fully integrated into a sick society. The people don't have the sickness, the system does. Now, are you gonna fix the system or are you gonna try the other way, which is fixing the people? Fixing the people is putting your knee on somebody's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I'll end on that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the reality is that we're trying to, it's hard to fix a system that wasn't built for us. At the end of the day, you have to, at some point, change the system and make adjustments to be inclusive. inclusive. The Constitution, everything written, everything that we are supposed to be based on are written from a racist perspective. So unless you make those substantial changes and really start to get that, everything else you're doing is a Band-Aid. Right. So and, and in order for us to have any type of, okay, I'm, I'm a part of the system, I'm doing well, I've got to capitulate. I can't come across as aggressive. I can't come across as intelligent because you know what? You're too smart for your own good. You're trying to attack the position I offered you. Do you see that? It's unfortunate, but this is how we live. This is the reality. So Dr. Meadows, one concern you, you've addressed before is how do we help our own people be more receptive to outreach, especially right now? Like with disparities from COVID makes us more fearful and social injustices are making us more frustrated. It's like a double whammy. You got people, I've been trying to figure out too. I, I've had a lot of friends that got sick, but like I'm finding that at least on the black men that no one wants to say they're sick. Like it's kind of like people are getting sick and kind of keeping it a secret. Like I, like there's some shame to you got sick. People are getting sick, but they're, they're scared to 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 say that they caught COVID. And so I'm just trying to find how do we deal with that. 
So um, first, I want to know when uh, Mr. Zell Williams will be running for office. Um, because, <laughs> you know, just I'm available to be your campaign manager, should that come, or your campaign <laughs> doc, either way <laughs> that you want to do it. But but in all seriousness, it's actually um, it's people like us, people who um, people of color helping people of color and bringing along colleagues and allies that we feel strongly understand the, the message. You know, when you're talking about people being afraid to say that they're sick or trying to even come in for care, it's not just, it's not about just being ashamed of something. It's because there's a history of bad things that have happened when they have come forward before, right? So um, we were trying to do this thing where we are I'm, like trying to push our care teams out into our communities to do outreach. And when I tell them that it can't be an email or it can't be a mailing or something like that, you have to actually go where people are. The first thing they said is, well, what if they don't want to talk with us? And I said, well, you know what? First of all, you need to recognize that there's probably a reason why there's a reluctance and you're gonna have to try again and again and again. Um, then when we do go out and we're, we're with the protesters or we're in the communities or we get invited to lay health fairs or things like that, we have to bring the information in. Um, the more people that we can actually do that with and actually talk through, the more there's an understanding of, of what COVID is, how to prevent it, how to take care of yourself if you get it. And remember, there's a pretty high chance we're going to get it, right? So how do you treat the symptoms? Um, we have to deal with really practically and honestly the concerns about getting tested. When I offered free tests in the community, the first question that came up is, is are you going to tell my employer? I'm just hanging on to a job. Mm -hmm. This test comes up positive. Are they going to know? And am I going to be sent home without pay? Right? So real, real concerns. And so when we have those conversations, we assure them of what we can reassure them of. It's not going back to your employer, but it is a reportable contagious disease. It is reported to the state. And the state will say, if you have a positive test, they'll call and say, who have you been in contact with? Because we need to make sure that they get tested and we prevent it from going back to somebody who was more likely to get sick and die from it, right? So you have to be fair about that. You have to be true. You also have to tell people the reality of what the test can and cannot tell them. So you heard all this stuff about the serology test, about antibodies, right? Still science in the making, still science developing. So there's nothing magical about that test. And then finally, I would say, you know, part of it isn't isn't the, the, the because of the actual patient or person who is sick, it's actually the fault of the healthcare system itself. Like any other system, we've got some issues, okay? So do we have enough access? That's one big thing. Are we actually reaching out in a way that people actually can appreciate? But the other big thing is when people do come in, how are we treating them, right? We always hear about implicit bias and, and overt racism because let's be honest, we got some people with some issues and even though they are in a white coat, does not mean they don't have this mindset, right? So that is something that has to be addressed. Um, so you can understand. What I've been trying to tell uh, people, including my own family members, is you cannot let somebody else take away from you what we do have to, for your own health and well-being, right? So you can get information just about everywhere right now if you're online and you're connected, am I right? You see that mm -hmm. stuff all over. You make sure that you go to a reliable source so you understand what COVID is, what it is not, and how to take care of yourself. When you see free testing, you can actually go up and do the testing, but you know that you need that reassurance. Ask the question, who's getting this test result? And by the way, is it FDA approved? Because you know what? We as a people 
aren't going to appreciate being experimented on right now. Okay? In a word, no Tuskegee. Not today, not ever again. Right? So we get the test done, you give them the name, give them your name, and you give them a contact because you need to know your test result and know how to take care of yourself. But you cannot, you cannot look, go back home and see your, your grandmother, your aunt, your uncle, anybody who is immune compromised. You cannot risk their health by not knowing what your status is and exposing them because you will harm them. And that is our responsibility to do that. I, um, so I have a question. I've, I've been saying it, but I haven't heard it. I don't hear it on, on all the news and TV and stuff, but it would appear that the best way to, to fight COVID and getting it is by getting your immune system up, mm. by being in the best shape that you can get. But no one talks about it. Like of everything everybody's talking about, no one's just said, hey, the best way for you to fight this is to get your immune system up, get, take, get your vitamin D in your system, be exercising, give your, your body the best chance. But it's never mentioned. Like no one ever, everybody's like, we're waiting for a vaccine, waiting on the vaccine. No, but you're right. You're right. It should be that, right? It should be good nutrition, right? Getting, keeping your hydration, getting your sleep, doing all those things, and doing all those things despite the insanity swirling around you, right? Yeah. So you got all the pandemic stuff. We got people losing their jobs, people losing their health insurance, and then we've got just hate crimes, et cetera, et cetera, happening around us. And so we get distracted. So you're right. One of the th key things that we actually can do to take care of our own general health both the physical health as well as the mental health piece. And the mental health piece, you've got the expert right here, can talk to you about how to remain connected and how not to, um, don't, don't be so hard on yourself should you find yourself crying or cheerful or anxious or whatever. Know that that's normal stuff in response to something that is hard and harmful and painful, right? That's normal. Thank you, Doc. Um, so Joshua, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, when I first watched George Floyd, the tape, you know, I cried. Like that morning I sat there and I cried because I, I, I knew what I had just seen. Um, but so how, it, it gets played over and over again on TV now. And, and, and someone gets killed, it gets played over and over again on TV now. It's, just a, it's a constant visuals of people dying. How is that affecting you and like, and you feel like your friends mentally to be seeing these images. So you muted, you got you muted. Sorry about that. It's uh it's traumatizing, truthfully. Uh it's very traumatizing. Um currently I'm in Arizona and um I I can't I, I can't even like fathom like even just the just the whole the whole I get scared. It's and it shouldn't be like that, you know. I get scared every time I pass by an officer. You know, uh, I feel like, all right, they're about to turn around right now, like, you know, or they're about, they're running my place. Uh, even when I watched the video and seen a dude adjust his knee on the, on his neck, I, it, it bothered me because it's like, how do you just adjust your knee on, on the guy's neck? And then you hear someone say, this is what, like, don't, this is what happens when you do drugs, you know, or, you know, who, how, how does that fit into a situation like that? Where does that, where does that, what type of commentary fits right there, you know? And that, that bothered me, it had me. Boiling because it's like, you know, first off, these are all grown adults that you're talking to like this, you know? And then it just goes to show your intelligence of, and 
your insight on the situation and, and how you view this. And it's it was terrible, man. It's terrible. It's very terrible. And my friends, you know, I just my friend just left to Memphis, and uh, I worry about him. You know, I shouldn't have to have like the thought as soon as I see some you know yellow tape. I'm like, all right, buddy, you good? You know, you know, I can't. That's it's, it. Shouldn't be like that. My my perception, my my mindset shouldn't be like that. You know. I should be able to enjoy life just as all my other uh, races of friends. And uh, it's hard to do that. And, you know, as a young black man, you can't really speak too much on that. You got to just hold your head up and keep going. So, um, so Dr. Rita, what he just, what, what Joshua just said is very real, especially in, in African-American community, you know, there's a lot of don't show any weakness. Don't do anything that sort of makes you look like you're not, handling it well um and you know thoughts of suicide thoughts of giving up and those type of thoughts start to creep in when you isolate when you 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 some drugs are you know as, as much as weed may make you feel a certain way or whatever it can also bring you down and, and alcohol brings you down so when you're dealing with all these things and then you got all these emotions how how would you suggest people start to you know let some of that pressure off if they if they like where do they should they seek therapy which then that's another expense that you know brothers can't always afford to to go and see a therapist i, I live in new york a good therapist can be 200 dollars an hour so what do you have any suggestions any tools that you know whether someone could do by themselves to help or you know some resources yeah thank you i mean the beautiful thing about uh, you know the african-american culture um is the family unit you guys you know uh, are quite focused on healing in a family context. And I think that's very, very important because if we make it uh, safe for um, to talk about our feelings around each other, if we model you know, safe and healthy emotional expression to our children and our loved ones, and that will uh, really you know, open doors and make it easy for us to communicate and build bridges of trust. And um, because the children, especially, maybe the things that they will remember about us during this pandemic is our reaction to it. So um, they really need to see that we model self-care, that we model communication, that I don't uh, shut down when they, they ask me difficult questions. And uh, you know, to answer your question, I mean, most people will heal uh, within that context when they go to their family and their immediate community for support. Uh, others, they might need a little bit of interventions and coping skills that can be offered through either therapists or um, sometimes they might need a little bit of medications and there is nothing wrong with that, you know, and there is no need to discriminate against our mind. If I'm bleeding physically, everybody will uh, rush me to the emergency room. But if I'm bleeding emotionally, then I have a weak personality or I should just suck it up. And uh, if we continue that, uh, you know, attitude, uh, our children might suffer in silence they might, you know, go to bed crying, and, and we have lots of uh, stories behind closed doors, and, and that's not really the American dream. <laughs> you know, our American dreams is our family, and uh, I think that's a, a huge advantage for the Black community. Our focus on the family unit. Thanks. So, Miss Christine, you're like so. You 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 are part of a generation that has a lot of that you know, influences and people like that. And so how much do you look to artists and influencers for guidance? Like, is there someone that you follow that 
really is positive than the way they're dealing with with current events and you, you model after them? Uh, yeah, so I personally look to a lot of grassroots activists who have strong social media personalities. These are the people that utilize Instagram and Twitter to build online communities and get others engaged, which is how I first started maybe two years ago learning about you know, different social justice issues through Instagram and through infographics and through people doing stories and just saying, hey, this is something you should care about. You know, they're what um, reeled me in. And so obviously they're not uber famous or, you know, they don't live in Hollywood, but it's people like small creators and so small people that are even just college students, but like to get active in their communities like Nadia Alcomado or Deja Fox, Shanice Lee, you've probably never heard of them, but they've been a big part of my life for the past two years. And they've, I guess, set me straight. Um, in regards to helping me find a positive way to cope with this, um, I use, as I said before, I'd like to use social media as a way to keep myself informed, but I've seen different posts of people saying, hey, here's some Black mental health resources for those of you that are feeling down during all of this. It's okay to turn for help. Here's some links. Here are people that are willing to, you know, talk to you. And then also people posting about how it's okay to take time off of social media and that doesn't make you any less involved in the movement. Um, I've personally been off of Instagram for the past three weeks because it was all getting a little bit overwhelming. And like you said, seeing those videos, it is traumatizing, you know, and you can't, it doesn't send a caution like, oh, this is about to be something that's like, triggering right it just it's just there and so I haven't watched the video of George Floyd because I knew it was going to do something to me that I didn't want it to and so I've just taken off of social media for a while I you know I have a news app that I find is the most new show that I try and keep engaged in but I think that you are at your best in um, participating in a movement when your mental health is intact and I mean this is just the beginning of something great and so for losing people right now because depression and anxiety and we're letting this all get the best of us then we're not going to be in it for the long haul so i'm trying to save my energy and you know reminding myself that hey it's okay that i need a break it's okay to put myself first at times because then i'll be able to you know tap in when someone else needs a break as well so yeah great answer so zo i think we found your running mate yeah yeah <laughs> i think we got so you run you got your running mate um so, so do you feel, as a personality, do you feel extra pressure or responsibility to the people that follow you and that, that listen to you, that does it add extra pressure on you to keep it all together as well for them? I have a 23-year-old a, a son who just graduated from Fresno State. Um, he got his... Uh, degree in philosophy but he's also a basketball player uh and he's preparing for the nba and all of that stuff and in order to keep him alive i had to coach the neighborhood i had to mentor the neighborhood this is just something we gotta do when i listen to the young brother who's in the car, what's his name? Oh, Trevor. Trevor, and when I listen to the young queen here, Christine, this is where my focus is. The young sister right here, Christine. Yeah, yeah Christine. Yeah. This is where my focus is. The old people who are used to sucking the life essence out of our souls have to go away. The future is in the hands of the Christines of the world. That's the future. 
And that's where my focus is. And that's what wakes me up and motivates me and inspires me to continue to do what I've been doing. The youth are the answer. These people who sit in positions of power, they don't mind hurting. Now, the psychologist or the psychiatrist in the room um, would probably be well aware of this particular gentleman's name. His name is Bowlby. And he created something called attachment theory, right? Now, you either have an, a, a secure attachment, an insecure attachment, or you're indifferent. And when you live in a capitalistic society that teaches indifference as a means to be successful, <laughs> we it's about transaction. I don't really care. I don't really empathize, right? If, if you say a sociopath or a psychopath lacks empathy, what then do you say about the American government? Would the American government then be classified as a sociopath or a psychopath? Would they? Do they have the empathy necessary to heal the community that they govern? See, the, the children are the future, and we have to be able to say, I, I need to give you something different to model. You cannot continue to model transactional relationships. You cannot continue to model uh, uh, a lack of empathy in order to come up. That's the society in which we live. Don't you see the irony in saying, here, let me give 50 cents uh, an NAACP award when he first comes out. But if you listen to his album, it's Get Rich or Die Trying. How is that worthy of an NAACP award? You acknowledge him not because of the content, you acknowledge him because of the success. And su success does not equate to morality or ethics or empathy. We're a sick culture. So when I hear Christine talk, I go, woo, they didn't get her. She's not compromised. Woo, we, we got hope. That's how we have to change, bro. That's the direction we have to go in. Whatever resources Christine needs, we should all jump on board and go, do you need this? Do you need that? What do you need here? Do you need to know this person? I know this, whatever we gotta do to rally around Christine, that has to happen. So Christine, you, as, the, as the future, like, how are you channeling your passion for change? Like, what do you feel your responsibility is to make, like, help your generation make a change? Uh, so in regards to the first question, how I channel my passion for change, two years ago, June of 2018, I started um, a social media organization called Project WOC, Project Women of Color, and I did it with the resource that I have, my phone. It's an Instagram-based account, social media account that I use to give a platform to young women of color to talk about their accomplishments and also inspire the younger generation, as well as having different programs like mentorship programs, programs that help girls get in, you know, apply to college, like one that we just launched a couple of days ago, and things of that sort. I just do the best with what I have. 
Um, and I think it's proved successful in the past, but in regards to what I feel my responsibility is to make better for the future generation, all I know is that I want to make sure that whatever they're fighting for in 10 years is not such an uphill battle, you know? Like it's 2020 and yeah, we're still fighting, but we're not fighting as much as we were in the 60s or even past that. And so I think that's what every generation's goal should be to make it a little bit easier or you know as easy as much easier as we can for the kids that come after us so even if they are still demanding justice it's doesn't it's not as tough as it is for us at the moment so fingers crossed that's what happens you know in the near future i i you you are giving me hope you know that i haven't necessarily had recently um in in, in the the next generation but i know that we always find a way to to pull through all of this Dr. Meadows, when, when you look at the current state of, of, of just black culture, where we are right now, there are a lot of us that feel we are under tremendous attack from a, a lot of directions. Um, do you see any beacons of hope? Do you see anything like, I mean, we, we come across a Christina that makes us feel, but beyond that, do you see things that are encouraging you or, or that do you feel like we're making progress as a people in the mental health area. Like, I feel like, I'm feeling a little that it's starting to, I have a friend named Shanti Das. She has a, an organization called Silence to Shame. And for the last few years, she's been pushing to get people to silence the shame of the stigma attached to mental health in the African-American community. Um, and so I'm starting to see cracks in that. And I was just wondering, do you feel like, you know, are you seeing any changes? Or you feel like there's some glimmer of hope that we are starting to make progress? So I have, I have three young, wonderful sons who are my glimmer of help, of hope, and help too, because I need that sometimes <laughs> as well. Um, but I know that um, when I am talking with them about what is going on, and I talk to them every single day, um, they may try to hide, but I'm talking to them every single day. <laughs> and um, I hear from them, they are so well-versed in what is going on. And I wonder if I wasn't that enlightened when I was their age, right? Because they're, they're 19, 20, and I've got a 29-year-old. Um, but I find from them that um, when I was having all of the, um, the, the despair feeling from watching the videos and watching the news and watching all of this, um, they saw it, they recognized for what it was, but they actually felt galvanized to do something about it. And then they were trying to figure out how to do something about it in a constructive way that would make an impact. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, when we talk about the age difference, sometimes I feel weary. I'm still resolved, but I feel the weariness. Then I see my sons and I know that they are, they're not gonna just accept it. They are very definitive and that is what gives me hope. They are more actually able to, um, to talk quite freely about what they're feeling about what they are worried about, what they're concerned about, that is hopeful. Um, they're less concerned with the stigma than they than perhaps a couple of generations ago when we all tried to hold it in and be, be tough. Um, I also find that um, uh, social media has liberated them. <laughs> they are all over the place and they pick and choose what they want to do, um, so much so that they are, they've gone from just being kind of passive participants to having their own voice, right? producing their own video. So you talked about people being out there in the protests. Yeah, my son's out there not only with his phone, because he did that a little bit, but he's out there with a uh, video camera, collecting and shooting that stuff. And when he comes back from that, 
he feels empowered. He's not just a victim sitting to the side. So if you want to know where, where I see the hope, it's the younger people, the people there, they found their voice, they're using it. Um, but that doesn't let us old folks off the hook because it's our job to make sure we remove every barrier, get every resource that they need so they can go up to their North Star. So, um, Dr. Rita, when, when you look at, when, when someone's looking for um, help, but they don't know how to ask it, and they don't like, do you, are there any resources that you would recommend that, you know, someone sitting around might catch this, be watching it in, in, in a depressive state, and they're just trying to look for that, that something to grab onto. Is there anything you recommend, or are there any books to read, any tools that you would recommend them grasp with? Because everybody doesn't have a family structure that they can lean on. Sometimes that family structure is part of their problem. You know, that's what's holding them back, is that they want to do better. They, they, they can see what's going on, but the structure is, I like to say, sometimes you find the people around you are happy in, in, in mediocrity, you know, and, and so you got to find something that can help pull you through it. And I was just wondering if you had any, you know, suggestions or any sites or anything that could be resources for those people out there looking for, you know, that life raft. Yeah, thank you. I mean, um, just want to maybe comment on Christina, uh, you know, that's really, really beautiful how you indicated that, you know, you are not going to focus necessarily on the graphic and painful and ugly details of uh, what's going on. And you try to maybe focus on the resilience and the coping and even maybe finding a little bit of joy and even beauty, you know, because of all of this darkness, we can see acts of beauty and acts of, uh, you know, um, community service. And, but, uh, you know, something you, you said, it's, maybe a little easier you said than um, it was decades ago and um, this is something I struggle with a little bit because our children are having these conversations that uh, we try to protect them from and uh, we you know it is their right to live their childhood without being part of this mess but this mess is not gonna leave them alone and these discussions are happening and they have to happen and they're happening at an earlier and earlier age for you know children of color so I just wanted to, you know, talk about this point. But uh, I think the social media is providing lots of, uh, you know, support to groups. The, the young people are finding lots of healing, um, leaning on one another. Um, they don't necessarily come to a psychiatrist unless things are really complicated. But they are quite open about uh, many going to social support groups and um, exploring uh, something that's maybe more culturally appropriate. You know, coming. To uh, somebody from a different culture, different background, might not necessarily meet all of your needs. But given that sometimes we have limited resources, the mental health field, um, people who are genuine, even if they don't speak your cultural language, but they are they share your humanity and they are there because they care about your cause. I think give them also a chance to be part of the solution. So my plea to um, my, my African-American brothers and sisters is, uh, you know, try your best to find resources that are culturally competent, but also know that there are other people who care about you from different backgrounds. Thank you, Doc. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, to start to wrap it up, but I wanted to, to like have each of you, and I guess 
I think we'll, I'm going to put it up on Christine to start since she's so inspirational, and then we'll let Zoe wrap it up with the, with, with the, the, the I'm sure which will be a rounding wrap up. But, you know, in, in one word or one message or, you know, what's one thing that you want someone watching this today to take away, you know, when it comes to, you know, oppression, leading depression, the system, the systematic racism that we live with in this country every day, um, the the fluff that gets thrown out, like how like people claiming they're throwing money into all these companies, I'm putting hundred million dollars into this, I'm putting hundred million dollars in this. So, like like you, I would assume if somebody put hundred million dollars into my industry, I would know about it immediately. I, I'm hearing Sony Music and Wea and all these companies. Oh, we're putting two hundred fifty million dollars here. We're putting we're putting it where. If you put a hundred million dollars right. anywhere in the black community, we gonna know about it. I ain't felt it yet, but right. you know, I think that's on us as the older generation to hold people accountable. We can't just go put a banana in the tailpipe. Everybody wants to make an announcement this week. Oh, we're donating this. The NBA or NFL said they put they put two hundred fifty million dollars somewhere. I don't know where it's going, but two hundred fifty million dollars is supposed to go. If you put $250 million in anywhere in the black community, you could actually know. open up community <laughs> centers in every black major city. That's yeah. You could see a physical change. You could open up community centers, which then would alleviate a lot of the problems that you complain about because now the kids have some place to go, things to do, is a safe place. So part of my thing is I'm trying to keep track of this money that's supposed to be that everyone's announcing is going in because the other day I was like, we up to about one point five billion dollars that's supposed to be going into the community, and I ain't seen it yet. I ain't felt it. I ain't ain't nobody on the streets calling like I got some money. Ain't nobody seen it, so I'm just <laughs> that's my approach to it. I'm trying to pay attention to where the money's going. But Christine, is this something that you'd like to to have people take away from this time? Yeah. Um. The one big takeaway that I have, I guess, for the audience is that. Um, I know I haven't been alive for very long. I haven't seen much, but I feel like we're on the brink of some real change here. And I feel like this time definitely feels different than times in the past. But because it's a long journey ahead of us, we all have to be, we have to put our mental health um, at the top of our priority list or else, you know, we're going to waver as a movement. And so my takeaway for you guys is to do the best or do the best with what you have as long as it is, is your best. Don't strain yourself. Um, push in ways that only you know you can if that means that you're you know educating your colleagues and donating to different organizations and just like learning more about what's going on then let that be what you do you know it doesn't have to look like you going to protest it doesn't have to look like you watching those traumatizing videos and reposting them but it's like whatever is your best just go ahead and put that forth because it's all it all adds up so that's my biggest takeaway thank you thank you for 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 that um Dr. Reddo, you want to tell, tell us what you'd like for people to take away from this? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think maybe a big point is not to get distracted. Um, we need to channel our energy in a constructive way. And many people are trying with their negative comments and to suck that joy and that uh, enthusiasm that we are noticing in our community. And uh, I think it's very important to practice self-care because these are times that are quite trying. And we do it not only because it's a luxury, I think it's a responsibility because we owe it to our children to be available for them. And uh, we can grieve as a community, but we can also heal as a community. 
And uh, I think if we focus on uh, our loved ones and start with uh, our families, we can do lots of good. Thank you, Dr. Rita. Dr. Meadows, what would you like so, to take? I would like people to, uh, to feel not only empowered, but feel resolved. Be determined, be decisive to understand what you can bring to not only the solution and to the healing, but to, to not get distracted by all of the many things that are circling around us. In fact, you know what I thought about this week? It would be amazing if there was some man-made or natural disaster that got added onto it because we were about due for something else being added to our backs right about now. Aliens are coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a matter of moments. But the whole idea is, unlike any other time in the past, the aliens can be this close to you, you still need to be focused on how are we going to adjust, how are we going to address the, the injustice? How are we going to do the health, the health disparities and resolve them, particularly around COVID? How are we going to do the work of actually getting people who need resources, resources right now, and not get distracted? The aliens are still gonna come. They're still gonna be parking, but they're not gonna be looking for us, by the way, but just letting you know that. Okay? <laughs> So, but we need to stay focused and we need to make sure that when we're do, being resolved, we recognize that it is this generation that needs to be fortified. Thank you, ma'am. Brother Zoe, uh, so enlighten us as we, we wrap this up with, with some final thoughts. Wow, man, it's just, it's so much. Um, children model the crib, they model their home. And if your home is in a sick society, your home is modeling society. Now, if you want transformation over change, see, change is superficial. Change is a slogan, but transformation is internal. America has to look in the mirror. I want you to take that away from this. America has to look in the mirror and do the personal internal self-care work that it needs to do as a country. Because superficial change, oh yeah, we knocked down a statue. Yes, we, we tore down statues all over the world. Understand this, when it comes to wealth in America, black people in America, have the least amount. 2.6% of the nation's wealth is in the hands of black people. 2% of that is in the hands of baby boomers. The other 0.6% of that is Eddie Murphy, Oprah, Jay-Z, Beyonce, and everybody else is below the poverty line. So where is that $1.5 billion going? You know we would know where it's at if it's being donated. Why donate now during this political season when we're talking about reparations? Why not give up the reparations that are due to the black people as opposed to leaning on the corporations and saying, hey, Michael Jordan, thank you for the 100 million. Or thank you, NFL, thank you for the 250 million. Why isn't the government stepping up in this moment, right now, when the cry is the loudest? That's what you should take away from this. Why aren't they doing that? 
because there's some Christinas out there that could use that bread to change her life. You really want to help? Don't give me a symbol. Give me substance. I would, I'd like to first, I, I, I'd say what I'd like to take away and what I'm going to continue to take away is that as African-Americans, we are an amazing people. We are a resilient people. We have, despite having knees on our necks for decades, centuries here, we have always not just survived, we, we, we've prospered. We've given this country so much of us. We've given this country our blood, sweat, tears, our culture, our, our ideas, our everything. And we shouldn't be made to feel like a burden. We shouldn't be made to feel like what we ask for is wrong. And we should be allowed to take some of this pressure off of us. We should be able to, we should celebrate all the Christines of the world, you know, and, and be able to support them. We should be able to, to have voices like a Zoe Williams that can, that, can get, that doesn't get stifled by the ignorance and the loudness out there. And as much as we're asking other people to help, we have to help ourselves. We have to do better. We have to be more accountable. We have to be accountable to each other. As black men, we have to be accountable to our women. Um, being, being strong has sort of not been the end thing for a minute. It's been easy to be quiet and just get money and look flashy and be cool. But that period to me, it needs to die. It's, it's time for us to be about substance. It's time for us to really stand and mean something. It's time for us to step in front of black women when they are in harm's way. It's time for us to do better as fathers, to take more responsibility. Um, and I think that if we started to do those things, it would also help our mental health because we wouldn't have all the young men out there without fathers in their lives that have daddy issues. The girls don't have fathers that have daddy issues. I think we, we would, it would help to heal while rising, lifting us up. So I appreciate all of you for being involved today for getting, lending your voice for taking time out of your busy day. I again, I want to thank Provident. I want to thank Dash. I want to thank everybody that's helped pull this together. Nikki, Aaron, Trevor for being on. And I again, want to thank you guys because without your voices and you being willing to take the time and speak, these messages won't get out to everybody. So thank you all. And I give you all a round of applause. For that.